So we come to Numbers chapter 28-29 in our study in the book of Numbers here on Wednesday nights, and we're going to talk about, over the course of the next few weeks, the seven feasts of the Lord, which we have talked about previously in the book of Leviticus. And um, what we see in, in Numbers chapter 20 and 29, it's not just about the feasts, but how the Israelites were to give to God what they were actually be doing on each of the feasts. So I'm going to have you stand with me, read, you know, the reading of the word. Um, again, this is uh, going to be, you see it, it, it cut off, but I'm going to be reading the first eight verses, okay, of Numbers chapter 28. So the word of the Lord says here, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel, and say to them, My offering, my food for my offerings, made by fire as a sweet aroma to me, you shall be careful to offer to me at their appointed time. And you shall say to them, this is the offering made by fire, which you shall offer to the Lord, two male lambs in the first year without blemish, day by day, as a regular burnt offering. And one lamb uh, you shall offer in the morning, the lamb you shall offer in the evening, and one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour, as a grain offering mixed with one-fourth of a hint of pressed oil. It is a regular burnt offering, which has ordained at Mount Sinai, for the sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord, and its drink offering shall be one-fourth of a hen of each, uh, for each lamb. In a holy place you shall pour out the drink to the Lord as an offering. The other lamb you shall offer in the evening as the morning grain offering and its drink offering. You shall offer it as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. This is talking about the, the daily offering, okay? We're going to look because there are a series of offerings that are explained here in um, the next uh, two chapters. Father, open up our hearts and mind to your word. And Lord God, there, there is a, a true wealth of riches, Lord God, in what we will look at tonight. Lord, we will see Yeshua, again, the prophetic plan that was laid out for him, that was given to Moses thousands uh, of years before he ever, Lord God, was crucified or raised from the dead. We pray, Lord God, a blessing, Lord God, upon all. Let us sit at your feet, Jesus. Let us open up our ears. Let us open up our eyes. Let us open up our hearts to your wonderful word. And in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. So again, what I, what I just read to you had to do with the daily offering. I just want you to notice, uh, if you look up with me here, in verses 3 through 8, this is the daily offering that was offered day by day. Okay, and that's exactly what the passage says. In uh, in Numbers 28, 9 through 10, then you have the Sabbath offering. Okay, and we, we saw this in Leviticus. Uh, it is mentioned again in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Then you have the new moon offering, and that's only mentioned here in, in Numbers, Numbers uh, 28, 11 through 15. Then what you have is it gets into the, the feast, the feast of the Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, the feast of trumpets, feast of atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. That's, so I wanna, what I want you to do is to read, okay, through these two chapters, you know, a, in preparation for the next upcoming weeks. Now, I want to show you something uh, key here. If I go to the last seven, okay, of the feasts, what you have, you have the Passover, again, and we see the Passover is fulfilled in the death of Jesus. Jesus is our Passover lamb. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is fulfilled in the burial of Jesus. I'm going to go into detail with this, you, with this tonight. The Feast of First Fruits is, again, fulfilled in the resurrection of Jesus. 
And the Feast of Pentecost is fulfilled when the Holy Spirit came upon the 120 uh, on Pentecost. Now, we live as Christians, we, we are right now, we are living in the blessings of these four feasts. We have not entered in yet. Okay, notice that these were the spring holidays and the fall holidays, and there's an interim there of, uh, of months in the, the Jewish calendar. Uh, but the fall holidays, the Feast of Trumpets, I believe we are very soon to enter in to the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, the Day of Atonement, and then uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. So what we're going to do tonight, I want to focus on the first four. Next week we'll focus on the other three. And um, I want to stress this. In John chapter 15, and I think maybe you, you might have, ever, I don't know if you might have, if you've been coming here, you might have occasionally heard me refer to um, the fact that the Old Testament is all about Jesus. I don't know if you have you ever heard that before from this pulpit. Yeah, maybe maybe once or twice. But the entire Old Testament. So in John chapter five thirty, Jesus said, "You search the scriptures." Talking to the Pharisees here, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. Now the scriptures he's talking about were the only scriptures they had. That is Genesis to the book of Malachi. Okay, that's Tanakh, the Old Testament. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. So, I mean, just one place, right? You go to Luke, and you look at um, Luke chapter uh, 23. Jesus goes into detail explaining that, you know, the Old Testament spoke about him. I just want to say this to you. I don't want to bring judgment. <laughs> Andy, Stanley, Andy Stanley, in uh, one of his books, one of his messages, he came out and he said, we as Christians need to unhitch from the Old Testament. And I, I don't look, I, I, I didn't hear the sermon, I didn't read the book, so I don't know, you know, in detail, but he pretty much, from what I've come to understand with that quote, he was saying that, you know, for Christians, the Old Testament really doesn't have an application in our lives. And um, I think that, that, you know, again, if that was his intended message, that is a heresy, and that is very common in churches today, where the message doesn't touch on the Old Testament. And, uh, I mean, just think of this. You know, if we unhitch from the Old Testament, just focus, uh, you know, on the New Testament, that means we are abandoning Genesis, the book of beginnings, right? Exodus, Psalms, right? Isaiah. <laughs> Into the significance of what we are unhitching from. And um, I think maybe some people need to unhitch from Andy Stanley, you know? Got a church of 8,000 people, and he's got a huge, huge um, radio and TV ministry. But um, just a, a key, you know, key thing here again: the the biblical holidays, and as you look at as you look at the seven okay feasts, uh, there are blessings that we enter into, and we should be again entering and and experiencing the blessings of the first four in our lives: feast of trumpets soon to come, and, and ultimately all, you know, all seven. Another key thing that these are, are feasts, and they have, again, a, a very practical application to our life, we should be living out, again, the fulfillment and the experience of what 
these feasts, again, have, have brought to us. You know, just, I'll go back. The Sabbath feast, we are living as Christians, and we should be experiencing, again, every day, the blessing of the Sabbath. What is the blessing of the Sabbath? It's rest. Rest from what? It is rest from the law. It is rest from condemnation. Right? It, it, it is rest from guilt. It is rest from sin. That we are not you know, any longer living and that we're in an age of grace. And you see the fulfillment of the Sabbath. Why don't we worship on Saturday? Because right now our life is a Sabbath. It is a Sabbath day rest. That's the fulfillment. That's what Hebrews chapter 4 basically is telling us. So, you know, we need to be experiencing in a practical level the, you know, the, the true, I think, depth and meaning and the fulfillment that it brings of experiencing the seven feasts. So that, that you know, that is key. Another, another key thing about the seven feasts, it is a prophetic picture of Messiah, of his, you know, of his life, his death, and then all of the after effects of what he has brought us. So, let's begin. We'll go begin with the feast of the Passover. Okay, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some I'm gonna give you some slides and some explanations here. But essentially, these are again the first four feasts are the spring feasts, and the feast of the Passover is you know again it is a foreshadow of the suffering Savior. We again looked at it in Leviticus 23. Commemorating the provision God made for the Israelites when the death angel struck all the firstborn in Egypt and the angel of death passed over the Israelite houses that had been marked by the blood. Ultimately fulfilled, right, in the crucifixion of Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, God's judgment of eternal death will not affect those who are covered under the blood of Jesus Christ. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 or 7 it says, therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. He is our Passover lamb. And I'll show you something, something beautiful here. When the, Isra- the Israelite man, okay, the leader of the house, when he sacrificed the lamb, and that's a great picture because he'd slit the throat of the lamb and pour the blood into a bowl, and then he would take the hyssop, the you know the the, the plant that, that grows that grows by the river, and um, he would take it and he would again he would cover the top of the door frame and the sides of the door frame. Now I want you I just want you to see I want you to see that again this thing is this thing is saturated with blood. So when you you hit the top of the door frame, and then you come down okay and you're gonna hit, you're gonna hit the sides of the door frame. That will naturally create a, a pattern that looks like what? Yeah, it looks like a cross. And that blood would drip right down from the, you know, the upper part down the, you know, the center. So you know, here he is, you know, the, the covering, the cross, the blood of Jesus is what covers us. And ultimately the fulfillment of the Passover, again, is in the fulfillment of the blood of Christ, his sacrifice, covering our lives and covering our sins. And, you know, again, the angel of death, when the angel of death would come, okay, to that home and see that blood, he did not go in and kill the firstborn. Well, the blood of Christ keeps, again, that angel of death, that condemnation, right, from falling upon us. 
And we are forgiven, we are redeemed, we are pardoned, we are justified, right? We are reconciled to God because of the blood of the Lamb, because of our Passover Lamb. So that is the, the and we, we, again, we need to live in that, right, that blessing. The blessing of, right, of having the Passover Lamb as our Passover Lamb and being covered by his blood is a wonderful blessing that we need to truly be thankful for. Now, I'll say this to you. Every morning when I pray, again, I, I pray a prayer of thanksgiving and I write it out. And one of the first things I just give thanks, you know, to the Lord for is the blood. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your substitutionary sacrifice of taking my place on the cross and dying for me. I, ne- I never want to, and look, do I lose sight of God as I go through the day? Yes. You get, I, mean, I could lose sight of God while preparing a sermon. You say, how the heck do you do that? You get so deep intellectually and, in, you know, studying a, a, a Greek word that all of a sudden, I'm, you know, you lose sight of the awareness of the, you know, the presence of the Lord. But I don't want a day to go by where I haven't given thanks for the most precious gift that has ever been given, which is the gift of the Father giving the Son, you know, again, as our Lamb of sacrifice on the cross. His blood has covered me and has covered me for eternity. All right, number two, the Feast of of Unleavened Bread. So, again, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we covered it again in Leviticus chapter 23, commemorates the night God told the Jews not to use any leaven in uh, their bread, for they would not have time for it to rise before they left Egypt. Leaven, again, is a, a symbol, it's symbolic of sin. Fulfilled in the sinless Lamb of God who was buried in the tomb to rise again in three days. How many of you have ever celebrated a Passover Seder? Three, four, five, a few. So in the traditional Passover Seder, okay, they have what is called afikomen, okay, afikomen. It's worth, worth remembering. And one of the traditions of the Passover Seder, and this is something that Jewish people now, Jewish people and, and your, your family were, they were not um, orthodox, they were not conservative, reformed, okay. This is in a reformed family. So this is being done in the Orthodox, the ultra-Orthodox. So the tradition of the Passover Seder is it's special. um, There's a special bag, and it's called the matzah tash. Did you know that? Matzah tash? It's like matzah stash, but it's the matzah stash. Uh, And there are three compartments, okay? And each compartment, you would place a piece of matzah. So you have three compartments and three pieces of matzah. Now, the, the tradition is to take the middle piece out. This is, this is Jewish families, for the most part, who don't believe Jesus is Messiah. <laughs> you take the middle piece out and you break it in half. Half of the matzah goes back into the matzah tash, and the other half of the matzah is wrapped in a linen napkin. And that is the piece called the afikomen. Okay, the afikomen, it, it comes from, uh, essentially it's a Greek word, not a Hebrew word, um, which uh, basically it means that which comes after or dessert, right? What do we eat after our, our meal? But that which comes after. And um, essentially it, it is viewed as a substitute for the Passover sacrifice. 
and is the last thing that is to be eaten in the Passover Seder. Okay, and this became very popular, if you understand it, um, the first and second uh, temples, okay, after the, you know, the first temple built by Solomon, the second temple, okay, after the temple was, was destroyed, uh, this became the, the tradition that, again, is carried on until today. So here, here is, again, the Afikoman is hidden by an adult uh, for the duration of the first part of the Seder. And after, okay, the Seder dinner is completed, what they do is the children go and they have taken the Afikoman in the napkin, they've hid it. So the children have to go and they have to find it and they bring it back to the parent and essentially it's redeemed for a, a prize. The child who comes, they get some type of, uh, of prize. And um, the uh, tradition is, again, the Seder dinner cannot end until the afikoman has been found and been redeemed. Okay, now, you've got three compartments, okay, in the matzah tash. What do you think that represents? Yeah, the Trinity, right? The Father, Son, and, and, and Holy Spirit, the, you know, the Godhead. And... Um, the middle piece, again, what does that represent? Who was broken, right? Who was broken and then was, again, he was wrapped, right, by Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, and he is placed in a tomb, right? What happens on the third day, right? He is raised from the dead. In a sense, he is redeemed by the Father. And he is raised from the dead. So um, that is a, the picture uh, you know, of, of the Afikoman. Now here's something cool. It is the children who actually go and they find the Afikoman. What does the scripture say about little children? She said, you have to, you know, if you're going to come to me, you've got to become like a little child. You've got to come to a place of, of, of childlike humility and faith to come to me. And it's, again, it's a beautiful picture that, that, you know, that is being played out. That, you know, again, it's the children who go seeking after the Afikoman and then bring it back to the Father. And as we go seeking, you know, for the Lord, right, we discover, we discover the Lord. So in First Peter chapter 1, 18 and 19, again, the picture of the matzah, the picture of the unleavened bread, sinless, right? Without sin. And First Peter chapter 1, 18 through 19 says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. He is our sinless Savior who died on the cross Right, who was placed within the tomb, buried, and on the third day, he rose from the dead. And that's a picture, again, the feast of unleavened bread. And isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? The more I, you know, again, it's not something you see in Scripture. It's something that has been carried out. And I just think of, of Jewish folks who are doing this every Passover and who, again, they don't have a clue. <laughs> It's the story of Yeshua as the entire Tanakh is. All right, the feast of, of first fruits. So Leviticus, again, uh, 23 talks about it, commemorates the beginning of the spring barley harvest fulfilled when Jesus rose 
from the grave, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Jesus, in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, right? He is the first fruits of the resurrection. Now, I just want to just say this to you. What is unique about Jesus' resurrection that was not unique to all the resurrections that occurred? Now, you, you have two resurrections that occurred in the Old Testament. Who, who were the two men who raised two children from the dead in the Old Testament? Enoch and Elisha. Right? I'm sorry, Elisha and Elisha, not Enoch. Enoch was transferred. And then you have three mentions of resurrection Okay, in the New Testament. Who are the people who were raised in the New Testament? Lazarus, Jairus' daughter, and the widow of Nain's son. What was in common? What did all five of those people have in common? They all died again. Yeah, they all died again. The uniqueness about Jesus' resurrection is he rose once and for all never to die. So that's where, in, in, again, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits. It's just again, we're looking at the feast of first fruits. He is the fulfillment of the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as an Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. And this again, this is a great promise of the resurrection. Jesus is again the first fruits of many who will rise from the dead. Now I want to share, I want to share something with you. That, that, see, 99% of the time when you're going through the scriptures and you see resurrection, okay, resurrection again pertaining to the resurrection of Christians, it is talking about the resurrection of the body. So, when a believer dies, right, their soul goes to be with the Lord. And their body, again, I mean, placed, placed in the grave, um, cremated, uh, lost at sea, and Paul even says, you know, talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You know, you know, people would be wondering, what happens if somebody, you know, was drowned at sea and the fish ate them? Well, you know what, somewhere there's that DNA, you realize that. Like, you know, you're touching, you touch things tonight, you left your DNA all over it, right? So that, that DNA, God's, and I'm sure God's got it in his supercomputer in heaven. Just know how to, you know, remake our bodies. So when a, a believer dies, again, the body essentially degenerates, okay? Soul goes to be with the Lord. Soul is conscious. Soul, you know, soul is aware. We will know each other. We will know the Lord. And it's nice without all this burden and stuff that goes on carrying and living in these bodies as, as well as, you know, carrying with us the, the sinful nature. So with the resurrection of the body, when the Lord comes, he is going to basically raise up all those who have died, who have been covered by his blood, and they will be united um, to uh, their soul where they will be with the Lord. We will be with the Lord, you know, forever. Again, with that you know, comes the rapture. We'll look at, we'll look at that uh, next week. But there's a place in, in John 11, when Jesus went up, uh, when Lazarus had died, he's having this conversation with Martha. And in John chapter 11, verse 25 to 26, it says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. So you immediately, again, thinking about the bodily resurrection, but notice what he says, he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? It's not talking about a resurrection of the body there. Though he raised Lazarus' body from the dead, it's talking about a resurrection of the soul. 
that when, again, when a believer dies, again, their soul may be placed in a, you know, in the ground, but their, I'm sorry, their, their body will be placed in the ground, their soul goes to be with the Lord like that. I mean, the scripture even describes that when a believer dies, they are escorted into the presence of the Lord by angels. There's a beautiful process that happens. We will, we will be greeted by Jesus. And then we will, we, we, we will be with him. That confidence, that assurance, is something that should be growing and becoming more and more solid as you grow in the Lord. So there is an assurance of salvation that comes, but as you grow in the Lord, as you grow closer to Him in relationship, and you yield to Him as your, you know, as your Lord, as your Savior, you get to know Him more and more deeply and more intimately, that assurance will grow and become stronger and stronger. And, you know, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Suddenly that fear, you know, that fear of death disappears. I want to show you a great passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses, uh, chapter 5, I'm sorry, 1 through 8. This is a, a great passage about the resurrection, and it says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal uh, in heaven. He's not talking about the resurrected body here. Talk, he's talking about a soulish, a soulish body that we will have. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, Prefer the clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well, please, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And that is that that is a believer's heart that, you know, there's a, a confidence and a longing to be with Jesus. So I'm going to show you a, a, a picture here of, um, I think if you go to, there are some wonderful ways of looking at many spiritual truths through nature, the God who created you know, the natural realm, and it's, it is the, the caterpillar becoming a butterfly. So we are, we are basically, if you see a beautiful butterfly, there's a lot of butterflies you know, flying around. I was out in the backyard today and there were butterflies, you know, there weren't thousands of them, but a few butterflies, they fluttered by and they're incredibly beautiful, right, beautiful creatures. And they're the um, Mercedes-Benz of insects, right? <laughs> the Rolls Royce, most people get grossed out by insects, but you see a butterfly and we all love a butterfly. But if you look, we are caterpillars right now. If you, if you really look at the difference between a caterpillar and a butterfly, that's really with where we are in our state right now. And I mean, I don't mean to, to degrade you as a human being, right? But we are, we are caterpillars. We are, we are creepy, crawly caterpillars right now compared to what... what and, and, and you look at the process, right? The, the picture of, again, of our bodies where caterpillars who will basically go into a cocoon. Our bodies. I'm not talking about the soul. 
And then at the resurrection, we are given a glorified butterfly body like the Lord had, a glorified body that doesn't age, that doesn't degenerate, that doesn't you know, become you know, ill, right? that does, doesn't hurt. Jesus was able to walk through a door and suddenly appear to the apostles right on the night of the resurrection. And you know, he said, look, you, you think I'm some kind of spirit. He had a physical body, a glorified physical body. And when he, he's talking, you know, he's talking to them and they're in a place of doubt and they're in a place of fear and they're trembling. He said, you know, he said to them, you know, here, give me something to eat. And he, he ate, right? He ate the honeycomb. And um, right, it didn't fall through his body, a piece of fish, and it didn't fall through his body. Apparently, we'll be able to eat in, with glorified bodies and continue to enjoy many of the things that we enjoy. But that is, the, again, the picture. Jesus is the first fruits, right? He fulfills the feast of first fruits and, you know, and the resur- resurrection. So the fourth and, and, and final thing I'll cover today is the feast of Pentecost. And um, it, it, it tells us here, marked, Pentecost marked the end of the spring harvest observed by offering two loaves of leavened bread unto the Lord. Fulfilled 50 days after the ascension of Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, the Holy Spirit came and baptized uh, two sinful loaves, Jews and Gentiles, into one body of the church. I want you to, to notice that the bread, the two loaves, were leavened, representing sin. I'm going to show you, uh, use an illustration, these illustrations to show you this. When the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, the 120 okay, or in the upper room, obeying the Lord and waiting for the Holy Spirit to fall upon them. Holy Spirit comes upon them, uh, tongues of fire, right? They begin to speak in different, you know, different languages. And when they left the upper room, what did they say? What, who was there when they left the upper room? A, a multitude of people who had come to Jerusalem to worship, who were Gentiles. Gentiles. And, you know, Peter preaches, and you have the Jews, 120 Jews, reaching out. Right here, here's the picture. They're reaching out to who? To the Gentiles. And then the Gentiles will reach out and that day 3,000 of them would get saved. And what you have is two sinful loaves. Jews and Gentiles suddenly are joined together into one body, the church. I mean, if that doesn't warm your heart, because, you know, I was on the Gentile side being grafted in, as Paul says in Romans. I want to read to you real quickly here from Acts chapter chapter 2. It says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and then appeared to them divided, uh, divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And suddenly again, what happens is you have these two loaves suddenly joined together. Two leavened loaves joined together 
And suddenly what we do is, there's no longer Jew and Gentile, but we now have one body, and that is a, a body that is in Christ. And that is an in, in, incredible, again, incredible thing that, you know, that absolutely warms, you know, the heart. So here, here is a, a picture, a final picture here. You have, again, the four spring feasts. You have, uh, as we'll look at next week, the fall feast, trumpets, atonement, and uh, tabernacle. So in, in this picture, again, there is this gap of months between the feasts. But what we see here is Pentecost has been fulfilled. We're in the age of the church. This is the church age, summer harvest. What is it? It's a summer harvest of souls that he has sent out, Jews and Gentiles, that we have been sent out as laborers to go into the field and bring people right into the harvest. That, that will be concluded with the, the uh, Feast of Trumpets when the church is raptured and the resurrection occurs. So here, here is, the, again, the church age and what the church age looks like. This is a, a great picture. When you look at the seven churches of, uh, of Revelation chapter 2 and 3, you get a, a, a picture really of, and it, it really is an incredible prophetic picture, of seven literal churches that existed in the time of John's writing, uh, seven types of churches that really exist throughout all church history, seven types of Christians that you will find right at every period, but seven specific periods. It describes church history, and you study church, and I spent a lot of time reading and studying church history. Haven't done that, haven't done that recently, but I did that for a number of years, and it's amazing how each one of these seven churches really characterize the church at different periods. And there is like, you know, there's, there's somewhat of a lag over, I think that we live in a time really of, uh, of Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Laodicea being the dominant church, that's a scary thing. I don't want to be a member of Laodicea. And I don't want to be a member of Sardis, that's a, the church that's absolutely dead. We see dead churches all around. Richie, you sent me a video. Rich. Clarity. You sent me a video a couple weeks ago. It's a good video. And, and in the video, it begins by showing all of these church buildings that were once Methodist churches, Presbyterian churches, Episcopalian. A lot of the, they, they call those the higher churches, which all turn liberal. They deny the scriptures of the word of God. They deny the Bible is the word of God. For the most part, there are some, there are some believers scattered in those churches. But all those churches are basically dead and they show them they're vacated. And they were taking videos of them and you can see you know, graffiti all over the church. The, you know, the churches were just a mess. And it was sad. And I was wondering where that video was going and then suddenly it showed that the Holy Spirit is moving and you have people gathering in the most unusual places to worship the Lord, right? In an old machine shop. <laughs> Right, I said we are, we are. This, this was an old, beat up old machine shop, and I was the last person in the world that I think anybody would have expected would be preaching the word of God. Right at this at this place, but God did, and these these churches are all over the place. While the the big cathedral, they're all dead. Sardis, Philadelphia. Got to be careful though, because there there is a drifting in churches like ours towards a lukewarmness, Laodicea. 
But we, we, are, we are in the church age. Again, reaping the benefits, living in the blessings of the Passover. Living in the blessings, right, of the feast, right, of unleavened bread. Living, you know, living in, in the great blessings of the resurrection. First fruits and Pentecost. Having the Holy Spirit. When Jesus said, John was the greatest of all prophets and the greatest man who would ever walk the earth. Who did he say is greater than John? For he who is least in the kingdom. People say, oh, that's talking about people in heaven. No, that's not talking about people in heaven. It is the kingdom that came at Pentecost. The, the, the opportunity, not, not that we are more moral than John, not that we're a better prophet than John, not that we're a better person or a man than John. We just have been given a greater advantage in the time that we live in with the blessing of Pentecost upon us. That's again, things to appreciate. You know, just Mary, and the, the worship team can make their way up. Mary cherished, you know, it says, it says twice in the Gospel of Luke, she cherished these things in her heart. You ever see, you ever read that? So here she is, the mother who has the, the virgin birth of Yeshua, the Messiah. I mean, Gabriel talked to her. I mean, it's just, a, it, it's, she's, she's the mother of the Messiah. She never had, never had relations and suddenly she's pregnant. And it just says that she cherished these things in her heart. I just could, and with that, the first four feasts, cherish them in your heart. Ultimately, cherish him in your heart because he's the one who brings them to reality. Amen? Let's, uh, let's stand. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your word. And Lord God, I, again, I come here tonight with excitement and enthusiasm to be able to present this word to the body of Christ. Lord God, I just pray that we would cherish these things, be thankful for them, Lord God, every day, and they truly would warm our hearts. In the time we live in, Lord God, there would just be a warmth that comes from you, Lord God, when we reflect and we think upon these things. We thank you for your Son, Yeshua, our Savior and Lord, and we thank you in his precious name. Amen. So we will, we will finish in praise, and then... I'm